1: Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
2: Oh, the shark babe has such teeth there. And it shows them
0: pearly white. Just a jackknife.
1: So welcome everybody to this latest episode of Macklin's Take with me, Andy Clark and Matt Macklin. Apologies, first of all, that we've been off for a couple of weeks. That was my fault really, because I've been away at the World Amateur Championships in in Serbia and I optimistically said to Macklin before I went that yeah, we'll be able to do podcasts when I'm out there. It'll be no problem. And I should have known better because it's a very it's a very full on gig. You leave for the arena at about half ten in the morning, you get back at about the same time in the evening. So there was no time to do anything, but it was brilliant. I really enjoyed it. I always do. Those tournaments are tremendous. Um, This one was quite unique because it came right off the back of um, Olympic Games, which it never normally does. So there were loads of new faces, lots of fighters who've never boxed at senior international level before, really, let alone elite international level. Uh, And I saw a lot of people I've, I've never seen before. Some of them were very, very good. Um, so we thought, why don't we do uh, an amateur boxing pod? We've done a few before. We went down to Fitzroy Lodge to see Mark, Mark Rygate. We had Paul Warmsley on after he left the the GB squad. But we just wanted to get into the the whole kind of thing, basically with somebody who who's done it all, who's come through the club system, who's run their own club, still does run their own club, who's been an international coach. Um, and we realised that we knew we knew the perfect man. And, and added to that, he had a fighter at the World Championships last week as well, who did well in, in Conor Tudsbury, and he used to coach Macklin. So it's, it's, it couldn't be better. Uh, and the man in question is, is Kelvin Travis. Kelvin, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you.
2: And I am so, what you're talking about when you talk, when you go to a tournament, 10 o'clock in the morning till 10 o'clock at night, you know, many, many times, and you, you haven't got time to eat. I know the situation. Oh, it
1: is. It is. it is. Yeah, it, I love it. I, I absolutely do. It's, it's, it's tremendous. There's nothing like it. Um, first things first, though, what was it like? What was it like coaching Macklin? Because Macklin and Paul Smith and those other lads, honestly, they talk about Crystal Palace like it was some kind of, Eastern Europe, you know, Eastern Bloc gulag. You know, they, they really do make it out to have been like, you know, only the only the t- these lads now they don't understand, they'll never understand what it was like for us. You know, it's it's a it's it's a bit boring to be honest with you. What was it, what was it really like?
2: I think they're dramatizing it too much, that's for sure. It was but it was work, it was certainly work. And um, in the good old days, then they're amateur were amateurs, there was no funding to support them, and so uh, there wasn't that much, um, you know, in, in in terms of what they had to do. They had to do it all in one weekend, invariably. So they go Fridays, uh, get there early. They miss miss a, a day of traveling, as as did the coaches. All the coaches were volunteers, at the same. And uh, and they graft and they do lots of sessions over the weekend, maybe four or five sessions in a day on Saturday, and then half a day, and then and travel home on the bus and, and the trains and stuff. Um, as did the coaches um, for the weekend. And that was just uh, maybe about 16 squads a, a year we used to have that in those days. And then you'd have extra squads when you were in training camp for a major tournament where you might get four or five, six days maximum. And you do one or maybe two of those. And that will be preparing for a, a world championships, a world uh, junior championships that I went to with Matthew. Uh, you know, um, many, many times, went with other boxers at different tournaments around the world, but they still only had those weak blocks and then they go away back back to the club coaches, spend some time with training programmes and uh, and then come back and, and do it. So they really, really worked hard and they had to do to sort of cram it all in, really. Those those days have changed and now it's Sheffield and it's full-time training Monday to Thursday for, for most of them. And uh, it seems a lot easier as and. I know I know, it's, you know. it seems easier, but the work has still got to be done in order to to box four or five times like you, you saw last week in uh, in Serbia.
1: So what was Macklin like as a student? Because joking aside, I would imagine he was actually probably quite a good student. You know, I, I, I always reckon that people who take to things quickly, part of the reason they do is there's, there's some natural kind of gifts there, but it's because they're they're capable of listening. Brilliant. Was it was brilliant.
2: Simple as that. He was uh, one of the best... In in terms of being a student, Uh, certainly had the level of skill and a brain IQ. Everybody talks about brain IQ. Well, I do anyway. The brain IQ was was pretty high in Matthew's case, not because he was going to college and all that kind of stuff. You know, once upon a time, not in the boxing uh, IQ was really high. And um, and I remember uh, only a few years ago, Matthew asked me to train him as a pro, and and I volunteered I would. We never, it never happened. He went, he went uh, with Jamie, Jamie Moore, and uh, and and I. Even then, even then, as a as a long-standing pro, um, he had that high IQ, and I think he could have made more of what he what he was as, a, as an amateur, certainly, and, uh, and as a professional, he did as much as he could. I'm sure.
1: So, Matt, what? How important is it when you're when you're a young fighter to have a good coach or good coaches it sounds like a really stupid question almost but but you you came through um your local club small heath you with, with pat and and he was obviously a good coach but then when you get handed over to somebody new at international level they need to kind of the foundations need to be there don't they um and there needs to be some kind of synchronicity between those two coaches ideally in that they both need to be good really i suppose
0: yeah, look, I think it's a funny one, isn't it, when you're coming through and you're developing? I mean, whoever wins the gold medal and the 100 metres sprint probably won his sports day, you know. You can't put in what God left out. There has to be pedigree there. But certainly, if you come across the right coach, they can get that potential out of you. You know, they can get it, get it out of you. And um, I think if you're lucky enough, you know, you'll get to a certain level on your club coaching, you'll win the national title. Hopefully, you then get onto the, the, the England set up. It was GB now, we're back then, Chris down in Crystal Palace on the squad training, and even though you're cramming the lot in over those weekends, being around coaches that can take you to that next level, and also mixing success breeds success, and you're you're mixing with other quality fighters, you're sparring with them, and everyone wants everyone's competitive, everyone wants to raise their game, and uh, it does take you to that next level. I think even you go away and you're boxing a multi nations tournament, you know you're boxing three or four times during that week and you're, you're watching quality lads from Russia and Ukraine and all these different countries and you pick things up. You're like a sponge absorbing it all. You don't even, you sometimes can't even quantify what you're picking up until maybe you look back a year later, right? And you think, wow, you're a different fighter. I knew, for example, my first ever senior bout was for England. It came at the back of the world, boxing the world junior championships in Budapest Got ripped off there. Calvin can, can back me up. Anyway, still got, my the, next... I've still got the cutting. have <laughs> got the, the boxing news cutting. <laughs> so my next, my next, my, my next bout, I got selected to box for England senior in Norway, and I went there, got beaten in the first fight. Came back a week later. I went into the senior ABAs. Now I knew that I was going to win those ABAs because I was sparring. Down at Crystal Palace with Tony Sesse and other guys like that. So I knew where I was, you know what I mean? I knew where I was in terms of ability. I just hadn't boxed domestically for so long because, you know, the, the you know, I, I think I'd boxed after the world junior after the junior ABAs, I think I'd boxed four times in Sardinia, four times in Hungary in a multinations tournament, twice in the world juniors. So I've had ten fights across three or four different tournaments. At a top level, throw on top of that, however amount of squads, weekends, six day camps I'd been on, you know the the, the the level, the work that had gone into me from Calvin and Terry Edwards and a couple of the coaches, and the sparring and, and the fights I'd had at that level, it was astronomical compared to someone else just domestically that wouldn't have had that. That probably hadn't boxed since the last junior ABA's or or, or the last senior ABA's or whatever, or maybe they had a couple of club bouts maybe so the work that I'd done that the level of improvement was massive so I knew that coming back to the uh, and it was a funny one but because I got beaten in that boat in Norway I remember Frank Sullivan who was the the Birmingham, he Birmingham City was Frank Sullivan's club and he was an old you know um stalwart really trainer he 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 would have been on their chain of thought was mm, Macklin not is still a boy, he's not quite ready because I got beaten in this senior bout. But when I came back and I was boxing Jamie Scanlon, who was 30 years old at the time, I knew as long as I come out of the Birmingham area, because you never know if you get dropped down or you don't perform, but I thought as long as I get out of the Midlands, I know I'm going to beat all the rest of the guys. So I've been sparring with them down at Crystal Palace. I knew where I was at. Um, but I do think those, I do think that that period of you can get onto that. It's GB now, isn't it? But if you can get onto that system where you're boxing internationally and you're on those squads week in, week out, or you know it wasn't week in, week out that time, probably every other week, but now it's week in, week out. You, you just you've just hit that level where you're the work that's going to go into you and the improvements you're going to make. To be quite honest, you know, if you, if you don't make that grade, the 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 gap widens because the other lads aren't getting the same coaching they're not mixing. they're getting the same sparring, they're not going to the tournament. So it's very difficult for them to improve at the same rate as the lads that managed to get get into the system, if you like, where they're on that international system, that international experience. Hey, hey, kids. Hey, everybody. Sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in health. thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes. It's called the Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well,
2: there you have it. Listen to the Desire and Capital Podcast. Coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go. <laughs>
1: Kelvin, how did you get into the system? How do, how do you become an international coach? Because there's there's, there's coaches up and down the country, and, and people are ambitious. They, you know, that's it's a real it's a big feather in your cap. It's prestigious to be to be an international coach. So how how does it happen from a coach's point of view? Or how did it? When you did it
2: for me? For me, I was just a, a club coach, uh, torn into coaching very young because my old coach died, and I, I took over. Um, but it, it's, it's changed somewhat. You know, there, what, what happened while, while I was growing as a young uh, coach, or a young guy, then um, I was growing with a lot of other guys and there was a coaching association formed. I helped to form it with Kevin Hickey who was head of the game in many, many respects. Um, and, and, it, and sadly, it's, that's no longer. And we have a, a... So I'm a little bit of a, a cynic as far as where, where coach education is currently and coach development is currently. And and um, you know, and I read everything. I read everything I can and I listen to everything I can about coaching at a GB level, international level. I mean I watched I watch the uh, the world championships um every day I could, um, you know, in afternoon and evening as much as I could. I don't even know the names, but I watch it because I'm interested in coaching still and I still have a passion. But and so I had I had that passion. And I was grafting with my boxers, and my boxers were becoming England boxers invited to national squads at Crystal Palace. And I used to send them down there, and they'd come back and I'd say, What have you done? You know. And then eventually, um, from being a qualified coach, I qualified everybody, had to be qualified at one level. Uh, there was only a couple of levels then. Uh, and I took a coaching you know, award at 18, believe it or not, even though we boxed until about 21, something 22. Um, and but coaching at the same time. So I I, I was growing up in, in the game and learning on the job many, many ways. I'm uh, learning from other, other coaches when I got invited then to Crystal Palace to coach. And I remember the first day I went down there, you know, and just like uh, Matthew as a boxer, I went down there and, and I see other, other boxers and other coaches. And I didn't even realise what a circuit was in those days, you know. I, I used to just do what I did in the gym, you know, that's the kind of thing until you've taken a coaching course and and, and developed some, some depth of knowledge, then what do you know if you're not working with a lot of, sort of the different boxes? So I've learned a hell of a lot from traveling the world, you know, as a volunteer, dare I say. Um, and, and being a, an international coach, then I had to go through coach education. Um, working, once you get a level one and then a level two, and you work in your 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 uh, area so they had a system down to the coaching association each region had a coach it was regional coach and his job was to develop coaching and, and develop boxing and develop recreational activities and all kinds of stuff and I was the regional coach of the northwest eventually after leaving uh, my club because yeah, it, it was deemed that you um you, you know you had to focus on on one thing and, and not be uh you know partial to any other, you know, influences other than the Northwest region. So I became Northwest regional coach and, and I, and I did 10 years of that as a, as a, a regional coach and loved every minute of it and, and with, with a passion, just the same. So I would progressed, you know, just like anyone else with information and going on courses and traveling and uh, and learning from other, other uh, countries and see what they did, did in other countries and, and all kinds of stuff. So, you know, eventually, and Matthew Mappin pops up, and uh, and, you, and there's a, a, a small relationship there. Um, and I feel very strongly, very, very strongly about what's not happening at GB in England now. Very strongly. and I'll, I'll tell you that when in, in a while if asked. But um, I believe believe very much in the, the club coach's role, and what Matthew was saying about uh, you know is exposure to a lot of other boxes and a lot of the, the activity and whatever level is key to it all. And that's why the club coaches should be exposed to it also, but they're not. And, and, I, and I can go on and on, but, I, but you've asked me about how did I get into it. And, so, and, and I, I had you know definite, strong opinions when I was a club coach going to Crystal Palace. Uh, and I remember the first one, as I said, and, and I got asked by Kevin Nicky, what did I think of the weekend? And I said, great, I'm enjoying it, super. But, you know, I've coached some boxers in the same session where somebody else has coached him and contradicted. So that's happened. I don't think it's right. And Kevin Icke turned around to me and said, quietly, uh, yeah, but I don't have uh, trust in all the coaches to do what, you know, they need to do. And I thought he meant me at the time, you know. But I know, you know, Kevin Icke was ahead of the game. And the very next session they had, squad they had, one group of coaches uh, who were maybe five in, in number, then are responsible for maybe five of each boxers for that weekend, and he tried to sort of focus on not contradicting each other, but just working. You know, so he was he was really there to develop anything that we could. You know, and, and he developed individual bo- coaches as well as boxers as, in a group. So it was you know it was for me. He was he uh, was probably the best that, the, um, national coach that we had, and um, and he, and he was the only national coach because um, they, they only ever had one full-time coach in those days, and the rest were all volunteers. So we were all doing our little bit in our region. And uh, and so guys who, who maybe shone or guys who are stronger in certain areas, then uh, we're asked to do certain jobs. And, and that's the way you gain your experience. Is that long enough for you? Sorry. <laughs>
1: no, that was good. That was good. And we will get on to, to what you mentioned about the, the current setup. Um, we yeah. will get on to that because it's, 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 it's obviously very relevant. And a couple of names you mentioned there. When we went to see Jim McDonald, Kevin Hickey, his name came up quite a bit, you know, because he went to the Commonwealth Games with him and, and he still has his notebooks written down of the of the workouts that they used to do under him and he would show them to his own fighters like James DeGale because they wouldn't believe yeah. that what Jim was making them do was 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 the right thing. You know, they thought yeah. he'd gone mad and he'd just say, No, 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 I did this in the Commonwealth Games. But well, Jim, in, back I tripped him a little bit. I, I spent a bit of time with Jim
2: when he was young and uh, only a little. And, and he was like crazy, crazy fitness guy, you know, and and, he, and that was his strength maybe as a coach as well as a professional coach. And then there was a need for that in, uh, in in professional in the professional side of the sport, a need for that graft and that that length of, uh, of activity that you've got to go through, rather than the amateur you know three three rounds activity. But I'll come on to it later when when, when you talk. But the James De I have a, you know a, a, a saying as the James De effect was was one of the most important things in, in my lifetime as in boxing. And I'll talk about that later. But that's all about the, the recreational development and then teaching kids how to defend and computer scoring if you want to get into it, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, we can do, we can do, okay. we can do. So do we you, you mentioned there uh, the... Um, The importance of being around different coaches, different fighters, different setups and learning from all of that. So this is for, this is for both of you. So Matt, you first, when you first went to an international tournament, how much of an eye opener was it to see teams from other countries and see how they went about their business, whether it was how they wrapped their hands or whether it was how they warmed up or whether it was how their coaches were with them or what they ate in the dining room, you know, what, Last week, we're, we're, we're all staying in the same hotel pretty much and you're looking around the dining room and you've got people from all over the world and you just look at their trays, you look at their plates and they're, and they're different and, and you look at everything they do is just, every country is slightly different to the other one. What was it they like are, the first time
0: you went? They are, but I, I, see, I, I actually thought, I know what you're saying, but I felt, felt, what, for me, what I realised was that everyone was also the same, you know, and from a confidence point of view, you, you know, you lose that... the a lot of people think, "Oh, that's Cuba. Oh, that's Russia." But you realise they're actually the same. You know, <laughs> everyone's got to make way. Everyone struggles. Everyone gets nervous. You know what I mean? Everyone has good days and bad days. So, you know, it it, it gets rid of all that. I don't know. I don't know what you, aura that other pit teams might have, and you realise, no, no, let's just. Let's just get these, we 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 belong here as much as anyone, and going out there and performing and and producing and holding your own and beating these guys gives you that um self-belief gives you the confidence that that you um that you really do belong at that level and 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 i don't think that can be underestimated how that much that helps you as a fighter when you get that kind of self-assurance that self-confidence that you know that you belong at this level and that you can go on and on and on because you know if you don't believe you're going to achieve it you're not gonna if you do believe it you stand a great chance and um, mixing at that level and achieving at that level helps you to go on and on and to keep improving and keep keep achieving. I believe. Um, listen, it, 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 you can't reinvent the wheel. You can pick up things here and there, yeah, absolutely, and little tips, and you take all that with you. and You do absorb it all, definitely, but you can't reinvent the wheel. That 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 that's. I'm a big believer in that.
1: Calvin, from from a coach's point of view, I'd imagine that. The period that you were coaching, at least anyway, it would seem to me that that your fighters, at your team, that your setup would have been at a severe disadvantage. Not because not because yeah. of the talent level, but because the Russians, for example, and the Cubans, they were all taken off to academies yeah. when they're eight, nine years old. You know, they had this unbelievable setup and infrastructure. They had Sheffield decades before we had Sheffield, basically. Yes,
2: and I've seen, and I've been to those Sheffield's in in other parts of the world. Um, I've seen, um, you know, I've been in Moscow. Trying to find out, you know, where the where the how much they're spending on drugs, uh, they, you know, the medical support, shall we say, of um, of all sports in in Moscow, and where, where they don't have any sugar, they don't have any milk in their hotel room. You may have got that in Serbia, like, but uh, there there wasn't any in Moscow. That's for sure. It's the sports hotel where I stayed. But I've been in lots of places like that, and that's why when I when I got the job of a GB coach. That's why I wanted to set up, you know, from my experience, what I'd seen in many other parts of the world. Um, and I did I did uh, form a lot of uh, my uh, beliefs in, in what, what was right uh, on, on the background of what they do in Ireland, what they, the high-performance centre in Ireland, because I'd seen it. And, uh, and I've, known, I've known the structure that's been in place quite a few years before G- uh, England got it, or GB and and even though it was a poorer version initially then it was a small group of guys who knew what they were doing and it was professional and it was thorough and they only copied what from what they'd seen so i've been you know around the world many many times and seen this kind of stuff um but to, to go back to what matthew was saying about um being different then he's right. I, I take you know I take his, his his points very seriously. It isn't about um, anything different. It's about how you put them all together, the factors. And what you what you had was a part time amateur setup when Matthew was in Crystal Palace in those days. And you know I lost five jobs because I used to travel to Crystal Palace and have a week off when I went away. You know on some tournament and I probably came back and lost a job because I'd had my time off, in, off sick or something like that. So, um, you know, th- those kind of things were were uh, an amateur uh, uh, foundation. I remember Kevin Icky doing a, a sponsored run once, um ma- uh, uh, marathon or something, to raise funds just to take a team to a, a European tournament or something like that, you know, a major maybe. And so it was built on uh, on just, you know, small, small funding until... Aldi Harrison came along, won a gold medal, and boom, you know, then the the the, the till was open. And in and that setup, and I was part of the setup, um, then it was a five-year program, sorry, a four-year program with a tag, a tag of about five million uh in, in terms of funding. And then that was the first uh Sheffield, if you like it, and it was set up in Crystal Palace, and then it went to Manchester, where I set up a gym down there, or we, you know, the ABA did, uh, and tried to do it in Manchester, and then everything moved to Sheffield when I when I had left the, the system for a few years. Um, but so now you've got a system where it's full time. It's it's that environment. It's the right environment. It's a great environment in Sheffield. I'm not talking about the coaching. I'm talking about the environment. I'm not talking about the management. I'm talking about the environment. Exactly what Matthew Mappin said. Those people, the best being brought together, the best you know experiences you can get, the travel that goes with it, the um, experience Matthew spoke about it of just going to other countries and, and working in a training camp. I don't know whether Matthew did or not, but he certainly went and experienced the competition element. But I, you know, I've, I've been to tournaments and I've been to seminars and I've been to workshops uh, around the world, and you know, where where you you get that development. As a coach, sure, and as boxers, it's invaluable. So they'll learn off themselves the best breeding, the best. Although you have to have good direction, you have to have good uh, coaches, trainers, call them what you want. Um, it's still the environment they need. And we are we are head and shoulders above in, in, in G V, we're head and shoulders above a lot of other countries, third world countries for sure. Um, I know a friend of mine who's who's working with the Indian now uh national setup. And uh, in some parts, it's it's, uh, it's it's more advanced than ours, uh, and yet in others, it's so, such a vast country that the the logistics make it very difficult. Um, but but they have the talent, right? We always have the talent. When in Crystal Palace days, we had the talent. I can go, I can, you know, many many years, many many coaches, coaches throughout the the, the country um, who were you know trainers or coaches are experienced or less experienced. Producing kids, I have a thing about you know. If you've never produced a, a champion at your club, where does the expertise come from? And there's a, quite a few coaches, maybe working at England and uh, GB level, who probably haven't you know coached guys through through the um, the club without getting to be a, an England coach. Um, but I've done that. i have been I'd been uh, you know through that system, and I and I sent my guys to Crystal Palace days. And uh, and then I and I attended them as a boxer myself, and and I went down a few times. As I said, I didn't even realise what a what a circuit was when I was a young boxer, a young fighter from Alden. Um, but I realised that you know the club coaches' uh, worth, and, and I'll I'll come on, on that when you know when I, when you've got more time. <laughs> but, but the worth of the club coach is, is really undermined with the system that we have now. Um, and I'm, you know, there's more club coaches now than ever. There's more, there's more coaches out there. I don't whether they're as a coaches. You know, I have a, you know, a distinction. You know, and um, personally, but um, but it doesn't matter as long as those guys who are looking after kids in clubs are doing a good job. They deserve the credit. They are the bricks and mortar of our sport, and they're, you know, they're neglected in my opinion. Sorry to
1: drag it on. No, no, we'll 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 get to that. We will get to that definitely. Um one thing i always I think I might have asked you this before, Matt. I'm not not quite sure. So with the with the move to Sheffield and you look at the success um since you look at London 2012, it had been going a good few years by then. Rio, pretty successful, and then this this Tokyo Olympics, very successful. Yeah. Medals in World Championships, lots of medals in European championships, which people treat like it's normal now, but really wasn't, yeah. you know, it's very, very difficult competition that. If Sheffield had been there when you were an amateur, would you have stayed amateur longer, do you think? Because they're full-time professional athletes now, essentially, aren't they?
0: Yeah, I think without a doubt. And I think and I think I should have done. And I think I would have been a, not only achieved more and enjoyed more as an amateur, I think I would have been a better professional because in hindsight, turning pro 18, 19, I was probably too young. Well, I was too young, um, but it's... Um, but that system wasn't there. Calvin talked about the environment, and that—that—that's—that's that, that's, that's what it is. It's the environment. You know, you can't tell me the likes of Carl Franch, David Hay, myself, other people weren't as talented as what's there now that have gone on and won all these medals in in tournaments. We didn't have that same setup. It wasn't there. Crystal Palace was—it was what it was. You know, it was great at the time. It was better than the kids that weren't getting onto that system and getting that coaching. But it was—it 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 wasn't. You know, it wasn't full-time, so it was really, it was a part-time. You know, you get a weekend here and there, or you get a six-day thing if you were going to a major tournament, but it's, when you compare it to the teams that have, uh, the lads that have been through that GB system at Sheffield, that are in this solid format, in this solid environment, four days a week, every week, over an extended period of time, let's say an Olympic cycle of four years. How do you quantify the impact that that's had on those lads, what they've improved? You know, I was I was training the last couple of years in the amateurs. I was training at Paddy Lynch's gym. I was sparring with Roy Rutherford, Nancy Man, I was Spencer McCracker, Robert at the end. I was sparring with the pros. I was training like a professional in terms of the ethic and effort I was putting into it. And then I was getting the squads here and there with England. and I was going away to tournament. So I was improving loads, don't get me wrong. But had I been... In Sheffield, living up there Monday to Thursday, and going to tournament after tournament and getting paid, a decent amount. I was getting fun. I was I was lucky enough. I, I got some funding, but you know to get a decent level of funding, which was worth my while, not turning professional. And you're in this insulated system in an environment. There's not a chance I would have turned professional. I would I would have done an Olympic cycle, which I think every amateur boxer should do. I was on that system I went like I say I said earlier I went from the world juniors boxing senior in my very next bout for England but and then I won the senior ABAs I won the silver medal in the Cropoli's Cup And I turned pro but if Sheffield had been around at that time I think I would have done the next four years and I would have stayed for the Athens Olympics you know I, I think I would have been up there to get a medal and you know at 22 at 21 22 turning professional then you know, I've matured mentally, physically, you know, I'd have been in a much better place to turn professional, which it's great that these guys have got that now, but, you know, going back then it was, it was what it was. It was, it was the best that was around at the time, but it's, it's, it's incomparable. You can't compare it. to the system they've got set up now at Sheffield. And as, as Calvin mentioned several times, a key word environment, because we're, we're products of our environment. Everyone is, and, you know, when you that system they've got there now, that environment they've created up in Sheffield. Can I just cut across
2: to, cross the, Matthew, not to interrupt you, but just to add on to what you're saying, you know, it's a great environment, Sheffield. That's why, you know, I, I knew what I was doing when I set it up with Kevin But the issue is it hasn't changed very much. And there's one key thing that they've forgotten. And I had it in the funding. And, I'm, you know, and I've, I say it to everybody who wants to hear about it, there was 90 grand in the funding. It's 10, 12 years ago now. 90 grand in the funding for club coaches to develop a link with club coaches. I'm saying it on your on your podcast because it's the first time I've ever had the an opportunity. And, uh, and it never got spent, It never got used. Nobody seems to think of the club coaches link. And what they're losing is the ability for that coach to develop at that level, just like the boxer. And then he's go back to his club and improve his boxers and improve the groundswell of, of, of Talent in, in our country. That's what's missing. And this this uh, the people who run who run GB boxing and England boxing are, are non-boxing people. I'm not saying the coaches or anything like that. But there's 11 staff in England, and then there's one I think one full-time coach as well. You know what are they doing? I don't I don't really know. But they're not impacting club co- club coaching development. There's no regional programs now like there was when you were younger. You know, travel, you've been in box for your, your region. You know, you, the Midlands, maybe, against North West, whatever. There's nothing like that that went on. There's no squads going on at regional level that I hear about anyway. It's all gone now. That You know, the sad thing is, the portion and elite, great. That's fine at GB level. But what's happening with, with senior boxers at England level? That, that, that's what I was saying, Cal, the, 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 the gap. Exactly. they? There's you mentioned it, you did mention it, yeah. And I, and, I, and I do and i know you know and it but it's it, people are there's no and i found out a few weeks ago there's no voice from the clubs and the regions at national level there is no committee that they can voice anything any complaints any and you know any critique there's nothing there's just the board and the people that staff england boxing and you think how the hell can can this represent boxing as we as we know it when the bricks and mortar of the clubs the clubs the saving graces those clubs are still going those clubs are flourishing in most parts through the efforts of the coaches the amateur coaches and some semi-professional because there's a pro-am link now you know you can do both um but you know there's, there's a lot of uh there's a lot of knowledge there's a lot of effort there's a lot of work done at clubs um and you wonder there's a divide with the with the governing body, as there is a divide with that talent as you were speaking about, because there's not enough. There's more professional boxers now. There's about 200 more professional boxers now boxing than there was before. And all of a sudden, you know, for for years and years in my lifetime, there was 300 pro fighters in in in, uh, in the British board figures. Now there's you know five or 600 fighters. It's the it's the numbers game. The guys are going pro too soon. You know the story. Hey everybody, this is Moto GP from the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast for Moto One Podcast Network Studios.
1: So, you, I mean, it's, it's it's really interesting this because the GP setup has done very, very well. And they're to be congratulated well. for that. And, uh, well. you know, I'm, I'm as much a supporter of it as, as anybody, but th- there's always improvements that can be made in, in any kind of organisation. And I wouldn't claim to know what's going on on the inside there either. But the way you described it, to use a kind of comparison of cricket, I don't know if you follow cricket, if you don't, this might be a bit lost on you, but there's now central contracts. And so there's essentially kind of Club England, which is what the players go and play for but their counties who kind of brought them through don't really get any benefit from them anymore i don't that i can see because they don't really they don't really pay for them anymore they're not really <laughs> around the club anymore is is it a similar kind of thing is that it's what you're talking same. about it's
2: the same and, and without, without going into too but i've got another hour I've got a podcast on on what i think but it's not you know there's a lot of information out there there's a lot of effort out there there's a lot of work at gb level as well you know but but it's this divide. This divide is, is has been there and, and getting bigger. They spend twenty million on the last cycle, twenty million pounds for amateur boxing in the last cycle. And what what do the clubs get from it? Nothing. There's no club link with you know my
0: boxer in GB or me. There's no. I've never spoken to anyone from GB. Never what's, the, anything. what's the answer? What is the answer, Calvin? In your opinion? Yeah.
2: That 90 grand that I put aside 10 years ago, 12 years ago, spend it. You know, have a, have a club link. And, and club, club coaches, you know, the, the famous clubs like Reton who've had loads of success and brought kids through in, in, in every level. Um, I don't see any coaches from, from Reton going to uh, GB or whatever. I'm, you know, the, but if you've got a boxer, you have a boxer, you, from Birmingham, and you're a member of that club program be england or gb and there isn't any at senior level but there certainly is at youth level and they throw kids into the major championships but there is no real program as far as i'm, I'm concerned anyway and um, not, nothing like it was before then the answer is to link up with the club coach i don't, i know when you know when i was doing it when i set the, you know, the, the thing up then I'm, I'm not technology i can't get onto zoom very easily but i was i was putting a, an app together for the club coach, so that he, the link was from GB coach to club coach. What's he, what's he doing this week? Well, what, what is his training cycle? I have a different plan for sure, but the knowledge of the you might say, well, do, do they need to know about my boxer Connor Towsley? I don't want to be you know critic, critical of, uh, of the, the system at all because I've got two boxers. Connor Towsley has just probably been the best performance in the uh, in the World Championships last week. And I have another boxer, a heavyweight, who I, I want to get into the program. I believe in that, in that kind of elite program. I believe in it, but only when. You know, what, what about the rest? What about the rest who are not who are getting left behind? And how uh, many is in the program? Maybe twenty, thirty, whatever. You know, uh, maybe more. I, I know the figure should have been fifty when I was there, but it never got. You know, I never achieved it. But the bottom line is, they, you know, that club coach needs needs to de- help develop that that boxer if you want to. Increase the, the, the spread. I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll go back to Ireland again. And you you know you've got close links with with uh, the Irish boxers. The one medalist from Ireland, the girl, did you you watched her? What is yeah.
1: Kelly Harrison?
2: Exactly. My my got coaches are working with the elite pro- program coaches in whatever capacity. I know if you've got a successful club, you're in you're in your club, but there has to be a link. There has to be a link. For whatever reason there needs to be a link. I think the club coach still knows m- more about the boxer than than, a, than any uh elite center coach, that's for sure. You know, whatever's going on with the family in the region. I mean, no disrespect to uh to any any coach working at the elite level, they, they don't go to the clubs where the boxers are fun, do they? They don't know what conditions they're they're in. You know, have they got a leaking roof? Have they got punch bags? You know, have they got you know facilities? Do, do they want to be updated so that there isn't just one boxer coming from that club? There's maybe ten in the future coming from that club. Do you get
0: me drift? Yeah, you yeah. don't want to do just about one talented individual. You want a system set up where there's a conveyor belt. Exactly that. Exactly that. And and what you know? How do
2: you get onto these England boxing programs? Yeah, anybody can can say I want to go on it. Anybody can go on it. You know, they, they don't get accepted, but anybody they ask for money. you know, people you you have to pay. When I was travelling the world, you know, good old days. Um, we've got expenses and I, I lose a, a week's wages if I went to a tournament, but that's you know, that's life. Um, now boxers have to pay to go to a, a squad. Not not the elite, not the GB, but England boxers. I've sent them. I have I have two boxers. and and, and that was to, you know, what what I believe about the de effect, what I believe about scoring in this uh, computer scoring in uh, in in England and GB and uh, um, and what I think about my boxers I have two boxers who started very young you know kids start 6 7 whatever they go- he started very young 17 now one's national uh, national champion in the last tournament good fighter was always going to be professional maybe but you know stylistically good fighter um and he, and he's and he's, he's uh, his partner at, at the the, uh, the club another 17-year-old who wins a, a schoolboy European silver medalist. they are both finished. Pandemic started done them in a little bit. Both, there's nothing for them to go for. Nothing. Nothing at all except turn professional. And these are two talented kids, the best we've got in my gym, best in the kids, you know. And uh, they've got, they've finished because there's nothing for them to go to. They've got jobs, you know, to go to. It's an, it, The core elements of the sport are still the same, you know. The thing about, you know, these are, I mean, Olympic guys, these top guys—they're doing the same thing as, as you are. You know, the core elements are still there. You, you know, you're looking at developing young men, and uh, that's where what a, what a coach comes in. Where I think when you're coaching rather than just training a boxer, um but you develop them them kids through the, throughout the start them too early. You know, it's a hard sport. You know, everybody wants to go and do other things when they're 16, 17, 18. It's a hard sport. You're only the tough really survive, and if it gets harder. You know, the old story is still, still the same, you know. So what what is there? What is there for, from the co- coach, the boxer, to elite level? What is there? Nothing. Only major competitions. Do you know any, of any tournaments that anybody sent anybody to, other than the club? You know, my clubs go to domestic. I was in, uh, took our boxers. We took 14 boxers to the MTK um, tournament in, uh, in Penrith a couple of weeks ago. 600 boxers there, crying out to to have the right kind of, that kind of experience, you know, and, and, and getting experience, some success, some, or standing an hour in the cold weather, just to weigh in, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, national championships last week, and one guy down there, it's the same thing, hundreds of kids, you know, boxing, boxing, trying to do do, do better, want to do something. Uh, hundreds of kids, maybe they shouldn't all be there, because national championships are different from a, a Carlisle tournament for a weekend. Um, I don't, I don't believe you know the championships. There's too many championships. From they're not elite enough, in my opinion. But that's my opinion. Sorry, I, I digressed a little bit. Apologies.
1: Oh, that's <laughs> fine. Matt, that, that, that's Matthew, what we're all about.
2: Serious, yeah. That's
1: what we're all about on um, on Sorry. Matt Clint's take. Sorry. We 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 kind of have an idea of where the conversation will go, and then we just okay. we just let it go wherever it needs to. So Matt, can I, say Matt, one
2: Matt, thing? Can I just say one thing? Just to interrupt again. And a few months ago, there was a um, select committee put together from England Boxing, um, and it was advertised on England Boxing website. And it was a fellow called Lloyd Willis, who was chairing a, a select committee for funding sport. And in other words, have, have they got the value for the money that they've put into sport? And it was a, you know, broad, a broad-reaching uh, committee. I actually saw, I, I wanted to sort of say my piece To this chat, and I went online and tried to do it onto the website, the boxing in website, and it was on about a week, and it was a loaded questionnaire that really didn't ask you what you thought. It asked you what they wanted wanted to know certain certain specific things, and I wanted to tell them what I thought. And and within the week, it it had been taken down. I don't even know. This is transparency, transparency or not. I don't even know what happened about the funding in sport. I do know that. You know GB has you know has got an, an, an open check really because they, they had they reached the targets but they didn't they had no targets to reach and they did great at the event so the funding will continue because the sport is valuable and the sport is having success. Um, but in terms of where it's spent, no one talks about it. And, and if you've got any a boxer having to or a club having to spend a thousand pounds to go to a tournament for a weekend. My my club spent over a thousand pound. We took a lot of boxes, but I know local clubs who who take boxes to tournaments, and it costs them thousands throughout the year. And they, you know, they, and hopefully, you know, they, they they function. But the actual funding of it all, then, you know, I'm, I'm not too bothered about the money. Money doesn't interest me that much. But the actual, you know, what the direction, where the shape of it all is being governed by non-boxing people. So this is a select committee, large select committee on on funding of all sport. And the guy who was representing boxing was Lloyd Willis, who used to do a bit of boxing, seemingly. An MP, an ex-MP from, uh, from uh, Harrogate, I think. Um, but I, I can't, you know... If anyone knows his number out there, give me his number. I want to speak to him and tell him what I think. Because it's, it matters. It matters that the sport continues to succeed, as it has done. It's done great. And uh, and there's a future. And not not blow the money. Because a key point is where they're, they're missing... The club coach link is a valuable key, key person in, in the sport throughout,
1: as I'm sure you you know. Yo, I'm DK, co-host of the One Star Recruits podcast. My best friend Rip and I host five-star athletes, celebs, business leaders, comedians, and coaches from around the world. Each week, I can guarantee the show will always have great laughs, catch up on life's in relatable ways, and have a ton of fun. We're recruiting you. We are the One Stars, which means we can ask the questions that no other podcast asks to guests like Joey Chestnut, Evander Holyfield, Bobby Hurley, Jenny Finch, Ryan Lochte, Montel Jordan. New guests every week. Compelling interviews that you want to hear. Check us out wherever you get podcasts. One Star recruits. So we'll just change tack slightly because Matt's got <laughs> a nip off. Matt's, Matt's got a nip off in like seven or eight minutes. But me and you, Kelvin, we, we we'll stay on and um and have a chat about Connor because I I he wasn't in my ring last week, but I did see him and 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 I've yeah. seen him quite a bit. So we we need to have a quick talk about that. But one thing I'm curious to 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 get both of your thoughts on Matt, you first. I watch a lot of Aiba boxing these days. have done for a long time, and there's all sorts of interesting things going on there. There was a hundred grand if you won a gold medal at the World Championships. Last week, 50 for silver, 25 each for bronze. has been. There's been prize money um, kind of all the way through. I think that they're gearing it maybe to try and make it more attractive for fighters to stay in the system. But we know the reality with GB is that, and one of the challenges on the coaches <coughs> is that they have to recycle and bring new people through every, every four years because people will turn pro. Do you think that the system now, um, across the board, if you like, in international amateur boxing, Is it more conducive to producing fighters who will become better professionals? Most people, I think, would say yes, because of a handful of fighters who've managed to move really quickly, like Lomachenko. But across the board, do you think it's really true? Because I'm not entirely sure it is.
0: Look, when you when you're going across the board, you can't pick someone like Lamachenko because he's an absolute. I know, but people do. You know. That's that's. Yeah, the... they do, but it's you know, it's it's not it's not a fair. It, it, it's it's different. One look, I think it, timing is key, and um, you know, so you do get some people that turn professional at eighteen. There may be a man at eighteen, they're mature, and you know, they they, they blow out quicker. You know, both by, by 28, 27, 28, Maybe they're done. You know, but I think people are staying. Amateur longer. I think that that's because of the environment and the system and the funding that's set up in Sheffield. So they are doing an Olympic cycle or two. Personally, I think maybe doing two, unless you're 18, going at the first one. You know, maybe you're staying a little bit too long. It's difficult. It's hard to say. It depends how quickly you want to move because the WSB as well. You know, you're doing five three minute rounds. You've had ten of them. You've had ten professional fights at a good level you know, against good fighters, you know, not, you're not, you're not doing six threes against 10 journeymen. You're boxing top class guys. So you are already, you know, let's say 10, 15 fights into a pro career. If you've had 10, WSB, Definitely. Um, and also if you've stayed that little bit longer and you're 22, 23, 24, you're physically more mature, maybe mentally more mature. You've gone through certain p- phases of life that you, at, at your system at that point. Um, you know, it does depend on the individual, but I think I think I think twenty two years of age, an Olympic cycle, I think that's a solid, um, that's a good amount of time. I think you don't want to wait too long because then you're under pressure uh, in your professional career to make you know you make mistakes, you have an injury, you're out for a bit, and all of a sudden, time's creeping on. Um, it, it, yeah, I just think you've got to weigh it up on the individual, but I think the three threes is better. The manual scoring, the scoring system every single week, we know there's always outrage, there's incompetency, is the corruption, you know, who knows. But it's the the system is flawed. I don't know what the, the, the I don't know what the, the best alternative is, but the system is flawed from a scoring point of view. They tried the computer scoring, that was no better. You know, it was no better. And the four-twos, I think, ended up being a bad apprenticeship for professional boxing. I think it's better. Now that three threes personally, I think no head guards is not a good thing. I think the head guards, they should bring the head guards back because for no other reason than imagine clashing heads in the first bout of a world championships and you get a cut and now you got a box again and again and again. I just think from that, just from a head clash point of view and no other reason at all, there should be head guards. I don't, I don't agree with the no head guards in tournament boxing. Um, I think i uh, I think the funding I think the setup in Sheffield I think that that the fact that that's there and that they're getting more amateur international experience and the fact that they're not turning over too soon I think that's good I think that means there's a better uh that they've got better experience and a more mature turning professional which is which is a good thing I think having said that, you look at some of the guys now turning pro Luke Campbell uh, Luke and Pat McCormick, Five, they're 26 twenty seven years old twenty nine years old you know Fraser Clark thirty. You know they're under pressure, they have to move quick. They haven't got a five year apprenticeship in the pro game, but if you're 20 years old and you turn professional, you have got five years to learn and build into the pro game. So, you know, there's positives and negatives.
2: I think I'm coming in now because I've waited
0: for you to, to finish it, Matthew, and I know you're going to shoot off. and It's
2: great talking to you, but I think you, you're spot on, you 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 analyze the the elements the, the, quite clearly. Um, but I think. The way I I view it, and and I mentioned the the Gale effect, uh, and it was all from computer scoring. I thought computer scoring, as daft as it sounds, uh, was the best thing to happen to British boxing at the time. And maybe uh, as a sport as well. If you looked at the the last World Championships last week and the Olympics, I thought it had gone back to computer-style boxing then. So whatever they have done in terms of you know the, the corruption and the judging and the and the, the clinicalizing of uh, of, the, of the scoring actual judging scores, even though it's not computer scoring, I would I would do that. I, I think look, the, the, to answer the question, it's it's been messed about with a lot and um, the head guards and all the stuff you talk and you spot on with it. Oh, you're right. Your observations are really clinical. But what I would do for this country for our country, I would take computer scoring again tomorrow for kids for kids and it, the reason why we had more success in the James DeGale era was because of the computer scoring everybody where they can hit and run away and move around and concentration is all defence stylistically it was good for British boxing, why? because we didn't have the you know, the Cuban ethos or the, you know, the third world country where they, they, they walk through it, anything just to, to fight you it, there was skills involved and skills, so as far as I'm concerned, I would introduce, and I asked the ABA, you know, a long time ago to try and do that, to um skill boxing, make it different, like they have, you know, skills backs, like, you know, like they do things to develop the right kind of things, the right kind of skill base before they get to the senior element where they then, you know, start three three threes or two threes or one, uh, uh, three twos, whatever they're doing in the junior, youth and, and senior element. Um, the re- and I, I was told, oh, you can't do it, you can't have two forms of, of uh, scoring. But I would, I would develop that. In Norway, where I go, I have a pro, a 10-year-old pro from Norway Cruiserweight, and I go there quite a lot. And I've taken my boxes to box in these tournaments where you can have as many bouts as you want. They've, they've messed around with these skills bouts in um, in this country quite a lot. But they actually, they have a, a decision. On those kind of contests, so you might say, "Well, what, what does it, what does it mean? matter? It matters the style of boxing as you're producing." You've gone, Matthew, or I've gone.
1: So yeah, let's go.
2: Yeah, he had to go. <laughs> so I don't know who's there now. Sorry, My, that's
1: okay. He might he might come back, or he might need to be off. He's he's, just keep, keep me. And just you the going. plug on me
2: now. You uh, uh, understand anyway. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> And they, I just you know because I feel strongly about it you know really and, and truthfully nobody nobody uh, there's no dialogue that's going on there's no coaching representation that's sort of uh, impacting what we do in this country I think from a, what you were looking at from the the uh, IEBA issue is that you know the the IEBA dictates those, those those nations anyway you know they tell them what to do sadly we've got non boxing people who are running our were communicating you realize then the the championships a championships that start next week there's a cruiserweight uh, division in there did you realize that yeah but it's it's it starts at 80 it, uh two sorry 80 one 80, it's eight,
1: one. 80, 81 to 86 isn't
2: 81 it 81 to 86 whereas aiba's 80 to 86
1: yeah that's true yeah
2: so they haven't changed it and, and i'm sort of spoken quite a lot to people recently because we've got a kid at 81 and we have got a kid at 92 so the, the, you know the the, the the nonsensical thing of doing it your own way and you know you can do whatever you want if i even dictate that the, the you know it should be 86 to 81 it doesn't matter you know or 80 you know whatever whatever it is if we want to do it differently then we can do we can have computer scoring that develops uh, skills and it will do it has done. That's why I said that the, the James De Gale. When you look at all the success that De had, was from hitting and moving. You know, standing and fighting. No, but as as you've seen in the last World Championships, and you signed it in the last Olympics? Uh, skill. You know, guys who are winning medals at the major tournaments can move. They have the skill base, if, if anything. And there's some guys who can fight. There's one guy, Russian, got to the final. Remember. Was Petrovsky, the,
1: the super heavyweight Petrovsky. You know,
2: good kid, you know, tough kid. Bruises everywhere, you know, having to walk right through it. And you know, there's, there's guys there who, who always come through because they they're tough enough, maybe. But if you look at you know the, the mainstay of it was skills, movement patterns, you know. And the Dela Cruz, uh, the, you know, Andy Cruz is, uh of this world, they're all over the place now. you know, they're doing it with their hands down, and they're doing all kinds of pivoting, switching, and all kinds of stuff. And that's the stylistic, like. Uh, success uh, story, really, that gale and Coard in those in Beijing and all those those years, and I, you know, and by all means, you've got to go with the current flavour work, but be success. But from our point of view, if we if we don't you know develop the skills of success early, then we're lost on killing each other in Carlisle. That that ring that I was telling you about in Carlisle a couple of weeks ago, five rings, twelve foot rings, hundred mile an hour kids having a fight. In skills you know i've got kids who are over overrun overpowered because they haven't got a big enough space to move in and uh, and that's you know a little bit of what goes on at school by by boxing anyway you know so it, it has definitely switched and uh, internationally is one thing we have to go with you know where the where the flavour is i think what the system what we've got now in place gb in england then it's flawed a little bit but it's it's a good system for success very elite. It's a good system for
1: every boxers. The rest doesn't
2: care; they don't care about. So, so Matts,
1: seven, you know, Matt Matts had to Matts had to nip off just for for yeah. people listening. He did warn me that that he need to go by half three, but we'll just keep going for a bit. We'll just keep going All for right. a bit. Um, a couple of things I'll just kind of clear up for people there in case they're not as clued into the amateur scene as as, as some others who are listening. With regard to the weight for the recent senior men's world championship, IEBA had thirteen weight divisions. Sure. And that is wildly different from the Olympic Games because in the Olympics, there were there were just eight. It was reduced to eight yeah. from 10 previously because yeah. they had to create or rather give two more gold medals to the female fighters. So it went from being 10-3 in favour of the men to being 8-5. And the IOC don't want to create new gold medals. So you've got this crazy situation, really, where in the Olympics for the men, there's eight weight divisions. And in the mm-hmm. World Championships, there's there's 13. I think thirteen is it's more than they've ever had. There was twelve not that yeah, long ago, but is. I think it's good because it's fairer. It means that fewer fighters will be fighting outside or too far outside their natural weight division. Because so the, the,
2: weight, the weight division, especially for the heavier weights, is, is critical. You know, super heavyweight, heavyweight, those kind of issues really, really matter. Light heavyweight, cruiserweight. So all of a sudden, England has is, is, just failed to pick up on this. Maybe because the they're boxing they're non-boxing people, maybe they haven't read the, the, you know, the direction. Maybe they haven't seen what which boxers have been going to the championships. But it's it's, it's stupid. It's crazy when you got a, a heavier guy. Uh, di- the difference between a, a middleweight and a light heavyweight, a light heavyweight and a, a cruiserweight, a cruiserweight and a heavyweight is, is is two kilos. You know, two kilos. It's mad. It's mad. Why? You know, I don't care if they, they decide that, but. The issue about the weights is reflective on you know, who's, who's running the show. <laughs> Who, yeah, boxing coaches are not running the show. They, you know, they wouldn't have that in, you know, if they had the option. They would have either weights. Makes sense. Six kilos, six kilos, six kilos. Do you know what I mean? That's the difference at heavy weights. And that's why they've introduced the cruiserweight. I think it's great that they've introduced the cruiserweight, for sure. Um, I think when it comes to Olympics next time around, they'll probably equal uh, equal gender numbers so they'll you know there'll be less weights they'll just select you know a selection of the weights what big one middle one middle one whatever they do i think that's what they'll do but i you know, i can't foretell out what AIE are either doing because if you know they're you know it's a big organization um i can only only stress from my my point of view that as a coach and i've been through every level and i've coached boxes at every level championships and world level and um and it's, you know, it's what's good for the country rather than what's good for me or my club. Although I'm working in a club and I'm concerned about my boxes. Um, it's what goes for the country that matters. And you can have an elite uh, in, in the in the pyramid of success. You can have an elite at the top that's spending 20 million in four years. And you can have, you know, clubs at the bottom who can't get a grant for repairing the roof. It's sad. And, uh, and when that that club that's got the leaky roof who's, who's produced a kid at elite level who's working in, a, in a, an elite programme. Um, why? Why Why is that happening? You know, that club coach, that club needs help and that's what should be there and that's what I feel strongly about. I'm okay. My club's okay. My club's driven by my son and supported by the fire service. And we do a great job. We you know, saved a few lives, We've made a few champions. We have a, an, an ongoing uh, community club activity seven days a week. You know, we you know, with thrive, no problems. But some clubs are working really hard to do that. You know, my son works hard along with other people, but some clubs are, you know, need help. And some, you know, there has to be a program for the boxers to develop so that they can generate activity at club level. What does that mean? Activity at club level means competition means club shows means, you know, if you think about it, every week of the year there's a, a national championship going on, you know, be it regional or national level, it seems like. And you know, be it not just locally, nationally and internationally, something going on. There's not, there's no, there's no regional development. There's no, I don't know, there's there's a committee that sits in the Northwest. I didn't even know until, you know, a few weeks ago the Arab committee secretary used to be on the board or whatever he was on or on the committee of, of England. I didn't realise he wasn't there anymore, you know, because I'm too busy running my club, if you like. And, uh, and I, you know, and I've helped train Connor Tusbury since he was eight years of age. And now he goes to GB. He's been there two or three years now. Great. And I support him and, and the coaches and I'm there to, I would never say anything that was um, hopefully too negative I'm going to be positive about it because I'm not, you know the, these other coaches are looking after him now, but I've never had a conversation with anyone and I don't know whether my son has or not but he maybe gets an, an email saying you know your box is back in, in, in training next week or something like that or he's been selected I don't know but there's no there's no link other than that you know info, inform information on an email there's nothing else at me. that's what I feel very strongly about
1: and you, you outlined some of the problems that, that clubs have there. And I've I've just started started helping out at Newham, which is down the road from where I live. It's my local club. I decided it was about time I I make a living out of boxing, and I and I I just decided it was about time I, I did something. And so I've been coaching kids on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And man, it is uh it's something else. But but I'm really, really enjoying it, really enjoying it. But they're being rehoused, it's in an old bathhouse, an old East End bathhouse, the club, and and I think it's being redeveloped, but the council are helping. Um, they're finding a new premises, uh-huh. but they had a show on Sunday. They have to go up the road to Dagenham. They have to hire somewhere. You have to pay for the hire of the ring. Then sure. you, you, they basically expect to break even on those shows. They don't really expect to make any money. They did make some money this time, but it's very day to day. It's very hand to mouth. The people who, yeah. who run it there, uh, Paul Maskell, Joey Chapman, uh, Bernie, it, it's, it, it it's amazing what they do. It really is. It's, it's quite kind of awe-inspiring, to be honest. But they are day yeah. to day, to day to day problems. That's where it's hard to plan ahead, really, isn't it?
2: That situation is replicated nationwide, and I'm sure you know in other parts of the world, of course. But um, but if if we've got anything that you know that's really valuable, it's those guys that you're working with. Those are really valuable guys, whoever they are. You know, I knew it was a very old club, I know that, but it's they're very valuable. And And I've run coach education programs since I was a young coach myself, you know, coaching courses and stuff like that. And and every course that I ever turned around, and, and I remember going to Newcastle somewhere once upon a time, and I turned around, and it was like a robes, put all my gear together, me, 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 me board, you know, we're going to lecture on and all that. And I turned around, there's like a Rogues gallery in front of me, looking right back at me. And I'm thinking, shit, what the hell i am going to do with these fellas? You know what I mean? They go me up for breakfast. And within a, within a few hours, you know, um, they realised that I was sincere. And I told them, you know, you, you are the sport. You are running the sport. You are, you are invaluable. And I respect every one of you. I didn't, I didn't know. So the moral of the story is that uh, these coaches, whoever they are, these people that are running clubs, they need, they need uh, class, they need support. They're changing lines, they're helping communities. You know, and, I mean, the educationalists of the world, they will realise eventually when it's public too, right? But they realise now, you know, we get knocks on the door all the time from groups that want us to do something in their, their school, in their club, uh, with, with their group of disenfranchised kids or whatever, or even, you know, young adults. And we do it, you know. We, we, we take our portable boxing ring into the local school. And they actually pay us, you know, a few quid. And we, we develop our younger kids who are boxers. And we take them as coaches, you know, into the to these schools. And uh, and that's what a lot of uh, clubs are doing, you know, because the, the teachers, educationists whoever they are, they recognize that we can handle that discipline element, we can handle that, you know, challenging element. And and there's a lot of kids. We're challenging that, as you've seen. I'm sure with the uh, with the bunch of kids that you're training a you new know, and and we have them every day of the week, and it's great. You know, and, and that's what was the greatness of the sport. People who don't know the sport, people who are non boxing people, then they don't quite understand the impact that those those people in clubs clubs like uh, boxing clubs have. No sir, sorry. <laughs>
1: no, no, that's I can I can I, I couldn't agree more with that because one thing that that I'm in, in kind of awe of at the minute when I look at the the established coaches, um, like I said, Paul, Joey and, and Bernie at Newnham is is how they handle these these, these young kids. Yes. And they're, they're anything from five to kind of 12 and they're maybe coming for the first time. Uh, and the point of of, of Newnham Boxing Club, and it's the same for, for all amateur boxing clubs, is that they want to produce boxers. Um, yeah. It's not just about producing champions; it's about so much more than that. But if you come through the doors, they will expect you at some point to be willing to fight. And if you're not yeah. willing to do that, then they will respectfully tell you that that you can't you can't come anymore. You know that is what they expect you to do. But yeah. the, the balance they managed to strike between being kind of encouraging, um, the stick and the carrot, you know, for the yeah. using that old-fashioned yeah. phrase is it's so skillful because. It'll take me a long time to get that. I've, I'm probably I'm a bit too soft, I think, to be honest. Um, they might have a hard time at school. They don't really come to boxing in the evening to have me shout at them. I'm not really a shouter anyway. <laughs> but then I'm just well aware that trying to keep control of them and knowing yeah. when to crack the whip. It is it is a very, very skillful thing that comes with experience and not not many people have it.
2: I'm I, I... As I said to you before, uh, I've trained in a lot of uh, senior boxers in in my life, in the coaching life, and um, and it's only the last twelve years that I've done a lot of young younger boxers because we have a mix, mixed mixed uh, mixed uh, section of uh, of kids in our club. We, even though we, we itemise you know the juniors, the under tens, the seniors, blah blah blah, and I've done a lot more with kids, and I can I'm getting more frustrated than ever. I go home, I take it home and my wife says, you've had a bad day at the club, it's like having a bad day at work. And, in, and I'll go, no, it's been a bit intense, and so I have to, you know, sort of take the, the, um, the lid off a little bit when I get home. It's a, it's a bit like that. And, um, so I think the intensity of what goes on in the boxing club, for a coach who's really passionate and maybe a bit too passionate time like me, and, and, I, and I do chant a bit more now than I used to do, um, I think it's, it's exhausting sometimes. But I still love it. You know, I mean, it's, it's what we do, it keeps you young and that kind of stuff. But uh, it's what I've always done anyway. But well, uh, yeah, you know, I, I can only applaud your efforts. You know, and, and I've, I see old guys that I've trained 20 or 30 years ago. I mean, and then I pop up at a one, one popped up in, uh, in Penrith the other week and he said, you know, uh, Graham Biedemann. yeah And I, I couldn't, I didn't recognize the face 20, 30 years later. Remember, and it was written down in my little book of stuff we did, like you know, like um, Jim McDonald did, you know, I, I still have this, you know, all those records and stuff we did. And uh and I tried to get a get a, a grip in my mind of what it was all about. I remembered, I don't, you know, I remember this club, remember this club coach, he's dead now, long since. Uh, but I remembered a little bounce that he had in his style. And he was, you know, and he would just talk fondly. And and then and I tried to remember a bit more. And he at the end of the conversation he said, my lad's boxing on that I in mean, the final. I mean, oh yeah, right, right, right. And it sort of, you know, it was a different name of a club. And this kid came out 100 miles an hour and climbed all over my kid. And he battered him, you know, and he had to have a, and my kid's a big, tall, streaky kid. Had to fight for his life almost. And then I remembered after the contest, that was Graham Beeman. <laughs> he used to fight like that. And that's how he trains his kids maybe. Who knows? He was, a, you know, a bit like that, you know, a bit better to be fair. But, uh, but yeah, so um, great to see these guys. And all I can say when I see them is, "You're doing a good a good thing." You know, you know, giving it back. It's, it's what, what you should do.
1: So let's finish off with a with a quick chat about about Connor because I said at the start that you had a fighter at the World Championships. You've oh, mentioned yeah. him a couple of times, and and he's just a really good example from what I know of 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 a fairly kind of classic kid goes to the box, boxing gym kind of a story. Yeah. He, he did he did well at the World Championships. He's really yeah. a light heavyweight. Um, yeah. But a light heavyweight had already been selected, um, so he volunteered, as I understand it, to box at cruiser, yeah. which is, I mean, that's it's almost another stone. It's it's a lot, you know. You're it's a crazy,
2: crazy situation. He came to us and he said, um, "It was, you know, it's a bit of a." He's been there a few years. Obviously, the the, uh, the pandemic has uh, caused, probably, COVID pandemic, has caused problems with everyone. So we've kept him, you know, bubbling as best we can, and and and, and to use. Uh, as much as we can, and um, so now he's, he's in the full throttle of what, where, where the competition element is. So I was a bit disappointed that he didn't get it because we know, I know what he's doing every every time he comes back from Sheffield, every session. I say, what have you done? I ask him about the technical things and the physical things, and because he's quite a physical guy, stylistically, and ever since he was an eight-year-old climbing up, you know, he was one one example, as you say, climbing up the ropes. You know upside down as well as you know normal, he was dead keen and he was a crazy little kid. Um, so we you know, there's, there's a lot of learning, and he's is I understand his style more than most, certainly more, more than uh, personality wise, more than maybe the coaches in, in GB. But I, I you know, it, I, I encourage him to go, but I want to know, I want to soak it up, and uh, and, and certain elements of his style need a coach that understands and and a coach not just a trains him and with respect you know um, they made Anthony Joshua in two years from going to Sheffield into an Olympic champion and that was a great achievement as far as I'm concerned but uh, Anthony Joshua in my opinion hasn't been able to shake off the the upright boxing stylistically that we're well known for in England Um, he hasn't been able to shake that off even in the last Usyk fight you know, that's me as a coach looking. But from Connor's point of view, then he needs a few minor adjustments, minor adjustments in his his technique. Um, I can't do it anymore. You know, he's he's off in Sheffield listening to some technique that he's come back with. That I, you know, I won't won't help him in his his minor adjustments. And I, and that's not that's not the secret of the universe. That's what a coach does. Every day of the week, and it's got to be done every every day in the gym. So I have a little bit of a, um, a, 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 a coaching uh, thing with him, and uh, and all I do is just you know go through it technically and, and remind him of, of what he's, he's got to uh, do. Sadly, the when he went and said that I volunteered to be a, an 86 cruiser, I asked Robin McCracken if I could go a cruiserway. I was shocked. I thought this is crazy. Honestly, and Nigel, I said, "What do you reckon?" He went, "No, he wants to do it." You know, I said, "It's crazy. He's giving you know six kilos away, and nobody gives six kilos away, not at that level." And okay, the, the, the good news is that they were all the best kids in the world at, at the world championships. Best kids that were available, good kids, some really, really good kids. The Cubans are still in there. The Russians are still in there. You know, those guys who haven't gone professional, they're still in there. And, you know, so it was a really high-caliber tournament, even though the flavour of it was boxing, as I spoke before, technically. Um, so I was like, God, this is, he's going to get found out. You know, there's technical adjustments in Eastern Day. It's going to take a, a little bit longer and he's going to get found out. So I was a little worried. But, no, I was I was delighted that um, he had two days' notice and he went. Uh, I was delighted that the uh, – but, they, you know, sad news is they haven't been training anyone for Cruiserweight, you know, where is the Cruiserweight maybe, Cruiserweight has been there so, you know, where, where is the program, so I'm, I'm delighted that he went, I'm delighted that he made he made a point of uh, when he was interviewed by whoever I think, did you interview, um, but he was definitely a, a, a light heavyweight he'd go back to light heavyweight, he just wanted to show himself as a you know, being in that calibre of, of opposition and I thought he did that you know, I was delighted, I thought he would struggle with the Mexican. In the second round. Um uh, the, the Israeli that he that he beat, I thought he'd beat him, you know, I didn't think he'd beat him as easy as what he did, to be fair, because we you know there was I'd seen video of him being very fast the Israeli, very tall and fast. Uh and the size I was thinking. But he, he caught with him very easily. And uh and the the Mexican, I was delighted. I, I really worried because the Mexicans could throw them uppercuts for for sure. And I thought wow, you know, these uppercuts are coming in, you know, but they never did. and he, he was brilliant, I thought, in the in his second contest, and uh, and against the um, the Belgium. Then uh, again, I thought he was struggling physically, and and when he came back, you know, I asked him, you know, how did he cope? What did he think? He said, "God, it was, was strong. The first time he got hit with the Belgium, he said, "Christ, if he hits me again. Like that, I'm I'm in trouble," you know. And he was being honest, you know, about and that's the kind of power that's coming out, you know, even though he, maybe it's, it's not the. The tough end of the draw, or whatever it is, you know, you, it was an open, open-ended draw this time. Seemingly, not not seeded, which is good. Um Then, yeah, you know, I thought he did brilliantly. I thought he was the best out there. Maybe a bit biased, but he certainly uh grew in the tournament. That's for sure. So, yeah, you know, it showed, showed his ability. I hope, I hope he's in uh, Birmingham next year. That's that's the target for us. I hope he gets the right the right deal. I hope he gets the right uh, deal of the cards as, as it goes. Um, there's some good kids in the division I've just heard that Aaron Boyne has been uh, been seeded for the GB championships the ABA championships uh, Cotter will go as number one I assume wherever but um, I, I believe in, uh, in Connor at that weight um, he has a couple of adjustments to make he can make them it's just that I think I need a bit more time with him, to be fair than Nigel uh, we, know, we know what he's about and, and we've, we've grown him that way knowing, you know, stylistically what he what he was as a as a youngster and um and what he is now as a man. And you, know, you know, what do you think?
1: Well he wasn't in my ring unfortunately, but um I watched the fights and and yeah I was I was kind of I was really surprised that you can make the step up in, in, in that weight because it is a lot of weight and holds your own the way he did. And I think he lost that fight in the end. Well he didn't get it on the cards. It was very, very close he could have got it. Um <laughs> against Shell Strata, the, the, the Belgian, because... Physical, he, yeah. yeah, he was physical. He was physical. It's his way. He was more used yeah. to the way, and he just kept punching, punching right up until the final bell. And it could have just been those last few seconds that won him the fight in the end. It
2: could have been. I thought genuinely, if I, you know, the way I, I view it, I, you look at the style, the style of the, the opponent and the way the, the scoring as well, the style of the tournament almost, the style of the day. Uh, obviously, you get different judges sitting down there and there's a lot of new judges, but... Um, I think just the visuals of, uh, of the Belgian as well. Because the, the shots that are going long, and I call them looping and scooping shots. The, the, the scoopers over the top, you know, the, the looping and scooping shots are more visual than some of the stuff that Connor was throwing inside. In, yeah, that, the, that's
1: I agree I agree with that. Because one yeah. one so, trend well, I picked up during the tournament was that I had a couple of fighters in my ring. I had a Georgian fighter in my ring called Lasha Garuli, who threw a lot of what you would describe as loopers and scoopers yeah. Loose, fluid, punched a lot. But lots, a lot of them missed. Um, yeah. and, and he got a decision in one fight that I thought he probably shouldn't have. It was close, but because he was just, he was busy and you it's could element. see what he was doing or trying to do.
2: It's a key element, especially if you've got a kid who's got the length as well, the height and length, that you use those shots. And uh, I thought it was a key element in terms of the visuality of, of what the judges see. Impressive judging is always going to be that way, isn't it? That's why I made a point. I mean... If, if uh matthew doesn't agree with me about the computer scoring then fine not so many people have done to be fair but you've got a uh, computer scoring that it doesn't have to go to computers i don't need com- counter scoring counting the punches is so simple so simple it's been done I've, 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 you know I've, uh, done sessions with coaches and historically where you can you know judge with counters and judge with a tick on on, on, a, on a piece of paper it's so easy to do to count the punches and and that compared with impression judging, currently, which is just guesswork.
1: Yeah, one one thing I thought was that the I the judging was was overall was good. There were only a few fights where I disagreed with the decision, and even then I, I was mindful of the fact that it was close. But
2: two judges were sacked. Did you know that?
1: Uh, I didn't know that. It I didn't since, know that. They've
2: been, been sacked since. I think you know bad decisions, and one of them uh, was questioned uh, in. Uh, in Connor's case. Finally. Right, right.
1: right. There, was
2: appeal, there was an appeal put in by GB to, to the to you know, to be fair, and they dismissed it instantly. So
1: well, mo- most most protests, most appeals weren't upheld. I had a couple that were in fights that I thought actually the decision in one was just complete 50-50. And then another yeah. one, I thought the other guy I thought the other guy deserved deserved the win because yeah. he picked his punches better up against a swaggering pressure fighter who wasn't as effective as he looked like he was. Yeah. Um, but that would be my only criticism of the judging, really, was that you describe it as impression judging now, and that's a, re- that's a, re- that's a really good way of describing it, because yes. it, yeah. sometimes it was more what looked like might be happening yeah. rather than watching what was actually landing. And that amateur yeah. or pro, that's all it's ever about, is what actually lands. And in Aiba, boxing, the difference being two. A scoring yeah. punch has got to be delo- delivered with the knuckle part of the glove to the yeah. torso or the front or the side of the head. You know that's yeah. it. If, if, if you hit gloves and forearms, it literally doesn't count. Yeah, while well, while
2: well, well, not committing a foul, by the way.
1: Yeah, so if yeah.
2: You know, and certain elements, and and that's okay. You know, I mean, if you're going if you're going to prepare boxes for a, a professional type of uh, uh, style. Um, to go professional then you've got to look at pressure you've got to look at uh, power and we know that the the judge power you know they used to do it in in, uh, computer scoring the first the the first uh, event that I went to was the world world championships in Puerto Rico there was ever computer scoring and we didn't have no knowledge of it we didn't train for it I just trained Robbie Reed was there we got to this final we had some good, good performances Robbie Reed got to the final and lost to the Cuban Blah 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 and a of, I knew nothing about it. And but primarily for many years, back hands were the with the main scoring shot. You know, the little fiddly front hands wasn't scored in computer scoring. And if you if you look back at historically, it has gone through different phases uh of what they score, but you know, in, intentionally it's there to, for a scoring shot, and you can see it. So we got regardless of poor decisions or bad decisions. You know, it's 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 uh, definable. It's really definable, whereas impression judging isn't, and that's why you have so much, you know, question marks in in pro boxing and and uh, and, and, and even amateur boxing. You know, where it, where it's been corruption or whatever, bad
1: judgment. Okay, so we'll we'll uh, we'll leave it there. But um, Connor is the forever. name. <laughs> Connor, Connor, I could go on for longer. I could I could talk about this all day. Um, but Connor Toddsbury is the name. Uh, boxes yeah. out of Moss side and got to the quarterfinals at the world championships at 86 kilos which was which was a significant achievement I saw him in the summer actually at the European under-22s but by the time I uh, got there we were talking about head clashes earlier what yeah and Matt was saying that the head guard should go back on and and he had a fight at the under-22s Connor where he clashed the heads after 19 seconds yeah. uh, couldn't continue they then ha- you, you have to have a winner it's a straight knockout yeah. so the judges then score that 19 seconds and, and the other guy got it via split decision. That's just what happens hope, sometimes.
2: So I hope GB take a, a team to the um, the the world's the 22s I mean, you know, there's talk of one and I don't know when it is, but um, I hope that's it because then that gives him the option, you know, of when he goes and the, and the preparation. And then if whatever happens in Birmingham next year, then, you know, maybe the best man go there. Yeah, for sure. And, um, and I, I, I have another boxer. Called Patrick Brown, who um, who's a heavyweight, and uh, I'm hoping he's going to be um, in the frame somewhere online because he'll be in the
1: ABA's next week. Okay, great stuff. Yeah, the ABA's um, the finals are on the 11th. They're just down the road from me at the University of East London. So if I'm here, then then I'm going to go because it's it's right yeah. on my it's right on my doorstep. Kelvin, thanks very much for this. It's been great fun. We'll, yeah. we'll, d- we'll yeah. do it again. We'll definitely do it again. Um, Matt Clayton had to slide off a little bit early, but um, he will be right. back. Uh, we'll be back Is before really soon. He'll be retiring after a while, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, he's got no engine, has yeah. he? No, he's, he had
2: plenty of bottles. That's it. He went
1: to the town. <laughs> okay, so thanks for listening, everybody. We will catch you again soon.
0: <laughs> on the right, babe. Not that Maggie. back in town.
2: I said, Jenny Dava. whoa me.
1: Look out to Miss Lottie Linger and old Lucy
0: Brown. Yes, that line falls on the right, babe, not that Maggie.